If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. The scripture today is from Matthew. We'll start with chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then we're going to back up to Matthew 4, 1 to 11. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Like many of you, I was raised very, with a capital V, very Southern Baptist. So the first time I heard of Lent, I was a freshman in college. Gary, one of the strength and conditioning coaches at Oklahoma State who worked with Cowgirl Basketball, walked into the weight room with the sign of the cross smudged across his forehead. It was 6 a.m. scheduled so that we could get our conditioning in before class started, which is why I did so poorly in the 8 a.m. chemistry class that followed. That is mostly the truth. I wasn't the only one of my teammates who had no idea what was on Gary's forehead, but none of us were going to ask because 18 to 22 year olds have very little to say at 6 a.m. When we were finished, one of my teammates pointed it out to one of the other coaches and the response was, oh, Gary's Catholic. As if that cleared it up for this little Baptist girl. Later that day, I did get to ask Gary about it directly, and he graciously walked me through how Ash Wednesday was the beginning of the season of Lent, a time of reflection and repentance observed not just by Catholics, but by lots of other Christians too, even some Baptists. I had lots of questions then, but my question now is, what time did that poor priest have to get up to prepare ashes for Gary so he could be at work at 6 a.m. Like, bless it. Thankfully, that's not a problem around here. We do an evening Ash Wednesday service, although the problem with an evening Ash Wednesday service is that we don't ever really get to appreciate how sticky everything is. If we were to have a morning Ash Wednesday service, we would experience just how durable the smudged cross really is, lasting through the second cup of coffee, persisting past lunch, still drawing interested looks long after we've left the office, lasting so long we forget it's there and accidentally smear it. But really, even evening Ash Wednesday churchgoers know that the ashes stick pretty good because it takes more than just a wet washcloth to clean it off before bed. Soap is required. Those of you who came to our Ash Wednesday service have already heard some of this, but there are a few foreheads I didn't see last week. So we're going to catch them up. Everything about Ash Wednesday is a sticky mess. 
The ashes we use from, come from burning the palm branches that adorned the altar on the previous year's Palm Sunday. It is really one of the only times mainline Protestant pastors get to play with fire in ministry, which is great. But burning the palms and then scooping up the ashes while fighting the Oklahoma wind can get complicated. There's some skill involved. And the, the anointing oil comes in these tiny glass vials that are impossible to pour. And spilled anointing oil is about as easy to clean up as syrup. Don't ask me how I know that. Then there's the actual imposition of ashes. Some of my colleagues prefer to pre-mix everything, combining the ashes and the anointing oil in a bowl and stirring and stirring, aiming for the consistency of brownie batter, so that when people come forward, they aren't also trying to perform a juggling act with the separate elements. But I come from a different school of thought. I prefer the dip, dunk, swipe method keeping the ashes and the anointing oil separate until the moment you come forward, dip the thumb in the oil, dunk it in the ashes, and then swipe to apply, dip, dunk, swipe, dip, dunk, swipe, dip, dunk, swipe. That's how it goes on Ash Wednesday, dip, dunk, swipe, dip, dunk, swipe, dip, dunk, swipe. Except that's not all there is to it, of course. I impose the ashes and repeat the sacred solemn truth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you are a beloved child of God. Ash Wednesday is one of the most countercultural things the church does, reminding ourselves of our mortality, that we are not made to last forever, that we are not actually God, and no amount of work or money or wishing will make it so. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you are a beloved child of God. Every year we repeat this dusty choreography because the knowledge of our mortality slips from our minds again and again. We squander our time on jealousy and ego and revenge, seeming to forget that our time is not infinite, so we should really be spending it on what actually matters. We believe the myth that work is what makes us relevant, so we don't take the vacation. We don't have time for a weekend. We put off retirement. And when our bodies begin to change or slow or wear out, we become frantic, angry, depressed, instead of appreciating that our bodies have done quite remarkable things to get us to this point and that our bodies are not actually betraying us. They are designed to change, to slow down, to wear out. And this is why Ash Wednesday is such a vital ritual. Come forward, receive ashes, and hear the words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you are a beloved child of God. For what a gift it is to remember that we can choose to spend our waking moments in wonder and with intention. These familiar moves performed every first day of Lent, attempt to help us hold on to that truth a little longer. This dust-formed cross confronts our desire to avoid facing the inevitable. Dust wins. Dust holds power over our plans, our persona, and our perceptions. 
So we should stop pretending then that this life will last forever, that we'll have time later, that we can somehow avoid decline, decay, and the grave. Some might say it is a bit depressing, morbid even, but one glance in the mirror at the dust on our foreheads say that that is not true. The dust is not smeared in grief or in despair or in shame. It is carefully and lovingly placed in the shape of our salvation. The cross-shaped dust of Ash Wednesday on our forehead serves to make the promises of God visible that death does not have the final word, all will be made right, and love will see us through. This is the sure and certain hope in which we rest, and we are reminded that we have nothing to prove, there are no achievements to unlock, that there is nothing we can do to earn grace, we are simply given it because we are God's beloved, which means we are free to live fully faithfully and generously, free to admit our shortcomings, ask for forgiveness, and then start again. Of course, no matter when we receive the mark of ashes, in the morning or in the evening, it eventually washes off. But the truth still sticks. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we are beloved children of God. Today, we are now half a week into the season of Lent, that 40-day period modeled on the story we read earlier of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness. We find this story in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, but this practice, of course, did not start with Jesus. The gospel writers knew it was important to root Jesus in tradition. So what better way to do that than with a story based on the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years? And now here we are engaging this ancient practice of a time set apart for reflection and repentance. Some of us for the umpteenth time, some of us still considering it. Either way, today, the first Sunday of Lent, because it started on Ashway, uh, Ash Wednesday, that's the first day of Lent, but this first Sunday of Lent is usually when most people think, I have to think of something to do for Lent. What do I do? And what are we supposed to do during Lent? As you heard, the text really doesn't give us much help in that way at all. Matthew gives us the most insight. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Then the tempter came. And this is where we typically pick up the post 40 days in the wilderness event is what we usually preach on today, almost universally known as the temptation of Christ, when Jesus is whisked from the desert to the temple to the mountaintop to play Bible trivia with the devil. It is our annual examination of how Jesus rejected our tendencies towards greed and self-righteousness that threatened his hold on the power and grace of God and the transforming power of love. It's, it's not a bad thing to focus on, but the thing is, we don't model Lent on what happened after the wilderness. We model it on the actual 40 days spent in the wilderness. The only thing Matthew says, though, is that he fasted. 
That's what made Jesus come out on the other side, ready to care for the sick, teach people to snatch life from the jaws of death, and to be a thorn in the side of the empire. I mean, that is quite a transformation. And how can we possibly live up to that? And this is how we so often approach Lent, as if it is some kind of competition, even with ourselves. Depending on what food we give up, dessert altogether or just chocolate, we should be skinny by Easter. <laughs> Which turns Lent into some sort of disordered eating contest. We decide to become caffeine-free, screen-free, social media-free, because we just know that's what's holding us back from our full potential, as if Lent is some kind of self-improvement project. And none of that is wrong to do, but it is crucial to reflect on why and to what end. If we are honest, we are hoping that the Linton journey in the wilderness will magically lead us from a lower paying job to a higher paying job, from illness to health or from misery to happiness. We are going to get somewhere this Lent if it kills us. But this morning, Scripture invites us to trust the process. Maybe that's why Matthew, who almost always uses more words when just a few will do, maybe that's why Matthew says so little about what Jesus did in the wilderness. We are not completely without guidance, of course. Jesus says a few things about spiritual practices later in Matthew's gospel. That was the other reading. Fast, be generous, and pray, he says. And Jesus reminds us too in that passage that it is not a competition, not with anyone else and not with ourselves. This is what we usually focus on when we hear that text. Don't be a show-off. But I'm not sure most followers of Jesus have actually regularly engaged in fasting, giving, and praying. So before we skip to pearl clutching about being too public about spiritual practices, we have to do them. Fasting, giving, and prayer are meant to open our hearts and minds to undo and untie, to loose the bonds of routine and self-centeredness. Fasting, from whatever we need a break from, can help us assess how well or how poorly we are feeding our souls. Are our priorities and commitments just that? Are they priorities and commitments? Or are they really addictions? To push the pause button on something for 40 days might help us answer that question. Fasting, too, takes us by the chin and lifts up our heads so that we can notice that there are people around us who are starving for a thousand different things. Care, love, basic needs, friendship. So it is that fasting asks us to consider what, why, what we might give up in order that everyone has enough. Giving calls us back to creation. The biblical word used most often about offering is alms. When you give alms, which is not just about money, we are called to be generous in all things. 
with our money, yes, but also with our time and our talents, for they are not meant solely as means of production or to generate praise. God calls us to steward our whole selves, our entire beings in gratitude and service to neighbors. This is generosity. And in discerning how we will be generous, we discover what we value most. In discerning how we will be generous, we will discover what we value most. I'm gonna say that one more time because I cannot possibly be the only one who needs to hear it again. In discerning how we will be generous, we discover what we value most. In other words, what is hardest for us to part with and why? Which we are probably going to have to pray about. Prayer, or meditation if the P word bothers you, prayer quiets the incessant internal monologue of our minds and makes space for the stirrings of God. It is possible we can hear a new narrative about ourselves through prayer, a narrative that assures us that we are loved beyond measure, that we are worthy, and that we are fully capable of change. Fasting, giving, and prayer. It's a pretty general outline for the next 40 days, but if we are wondering what to do during Lent, it's a place to start. And according to Jesus, the wise application of fasting, giving, and praying can combat our human tendencies towards greed and self-righteousness. This is why we need Lent, not as a self-help program. We need the sense of its holiness. We could use a little of its incongruity to help us step out of our regularly scheduled programming that we might do some sorting about who we are and how we want to live in the short time we're here. We need to learn to count our blessings and to number our days. The question is whether we're willing. This may be what we think about as we come forward for communion in just a moment. So what will you decide to do knowing that it will possibly undo you. It's a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. Welcome to the Wilderness Church. We're going to be here for a while. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.